Maple Leafs seven game win streak comes to an end as they fall to the Knights by a score of five to two. Loved our start. In fact, I thought it was our best start of the season. Thought it was better than any start we had when we were on the road. We were really going. Guys were flying. Puck was moving well. Our pace was outstanding. We had great scoring chances and score. Line changes, shift blank, like everything that you wanted uh, in the start of the game. Um, I thought we were tremendous there. The puck didn't fall for us, and then I thought it, it, it because it was going so well, I thought we started to overdo it. I thought we got too comfortable in the game. You can't get comfortable against this team. Like, they're just too good defensively. Uh, and I thought we got cute with it. That really slowed our game down and allowed them to kind of settle in. And it's, it's a pretty even game uh, from there until we, uh, you know, we make a mistake and, uh, you know, they get the lead. And then now the game, you're, you got to kind of open it up and chase it a bit. Hour two of the Fan Morning Show. Matt Marchese, Daniele Franceschi with you here. Text line's open, 590-590. Name and location. Don't make me tell you again. I feel like a father. Don't make me tell you again. Put your name and location on it. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter, at MattyMar89, at Daniele underscore media. And you can send us your hate messages there. I welcome the hate. No, I don't welcome the I hate. do. I do. Lots of good texts, uh, so keep them coming. Five ninety, five ninety—that's for sure. Um, I just wanted to offer a quick bit of commentary sure. um, based off of what we heard from Sheldon oh, Keith. There. Oh yeah, there's some there. So I don't know. That just felt like a bit of a defeatist mentality after a loss. Like I, I get they that you're not going to win every hockey game, and and you're coming on off the heels of a seven game heater, so maybe it doesn't sting as much, but. That being said, he's a little bit too diplomatic for my liking there. I mean, I want unhinged keep. Yeah. I want him to stand up there, put his bang his hands on the podium and talk about, oh, you know what? That was atrocious. That was pitiful. We like no effort, no intensity. It wasn't there because honestly, I, I'm he made it seem like it was a very even game. And I felt watching it unfold that. Yeah, his assessment of the first, like, five minutes is accurate. They were the better team, and they, they look good. But best start that they've had all year? They went, no, that was they, a bit of an exaggeration, they went too. Up, they went up for Bagel on the same team on the road on the second half of a back-to-back yes, last week. Yeah. I, that, that, I call it the a, most impressive one of the season. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's a, t- <laughs> that's a tough one for me. Best start that we've had all year? Like, yeah, I don't know about that one. I also And I also felt like his team fell asleep for essentially a period and a half before they decided, oh, okay, now we're trailing oh, three to one. Oh, that was just an equipment issue. Oh, yeah, there we go. That, that's the key. That was just an equipment issue. But, like, trailing for, or excuse me, like, falling asleep for a period and a half, to me, that's kind of inexcusable, um, especially you're going in. And, God, I don't know, like, maybe this is a good way to segue quickly into um, their home and away splits. Yeah. But why is it that this team just can't get out of their own way when they play at home? Like, why are they so... They are different, Maddie. They maybe are it's that, a different maybe it's, group. Maybe it's what Sheldon Keefe talked about, just being too comfortable. Maybe. Maybe they need to turn the heat down in the in the dressing you know, room or something. You, you like, know what, turn you know up so, the AC. You know what's so frustrating about that, too, is, like, I genuinely feel for the fans because... It's, it oh, costs, no, stop. Maddie, it costs an arm and a leg to get in that building, But, but you know what? Don't pay it then. That's No, you're absolutely... Hey. Don't pay it. Hey, you're absolutely right. You're 100% totally. If you if if if, if the, you think like, like I do, where I think it's outrageous... Yeah, I'm not going. 
don't go. No. Because the reality is, I, I had the opportunity. Like, I wouldn't be able to go if I didn't have the opportunity to actually sit on press row for the first time ever. That was really cool. Well, you're producer extraordinaire here and, and, no, no. and host extraordinaire. No. And I, they're paying you the big bucks. I, yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> but but it, it was interesting. You sit there and you kind of take it all in. You see everybody, like the fans file into the building. And I'm thinking to myself, for how many of these people is this like the one outing a year that they get? And pick a better game. <laughs> like it's just I don't know man it's just even as a if I was I'm thinking if, as if I was in the shoes of those guys as, even whether it's Sheldon Keefe or the players I would I would very much try to I would feel a level of responsibility going out there to be like okay we got to make sure we put our best product on the ice as frequently as possible when it comes to playing in front of our fans yeah and and yet they're prone to a lot of slow starts as we've talked about routinely over the years or massive lulls within these home games for whatever reason. And statistically it shows like record wise, it is what it is. They've got more home losses at home than they do on the road this season. But on top of all that, they're one of the best teams when it comes to playing in other buildings, they're offensively defensively among the best in the NHL at playing on the road. But at home, they're middle of the pack or worse in a lot of categories. Yeah. doesn't make sense. It is. There is some correlation between those two. I don't know what it is, but I think it is noteworthy that and fascinating that there is this dichotomy in terms of how they perform at home versus on the road. We'll ask Carter Hutton, who's going to join us in the next hour. He he was in these locker rooms. He can maybe tell us what the heck goes on because it, to me, it doesn't make a lot of sense. 15, 11, and 2 at home, 18, 6, and 6 on the road. Like, those are two entirely different teams. Sorry to laugh. I, there's a good text here. There's the top text in the text line. Okay, let's get to this text. No name and location. Please oh, include name and location. This is good. He goes... Texter, you want unhinged? Question mark. He was literally tossed from the game. He was. Fair enough. He did get tossed. And you know what the best part is? Is what he got tossed for was basically just the ref finally saying, okay, I told you to be quiet and you said three more words. That's what he got tossed for. I mean. And completely justified, by the way. That was a horrible call. Oh, my goodness. Phantom and call. You can't make that call when it happens right in front of you like that. You can't. That, that's not. So, now, I was I, when I was doing my notes, I was like, what ended up doing the Leafs in? And I was like, nah, it didn't. But it certainly didn't help at the end when they had at least a little bit of momentum. That's an offensive zone penalty. Yep. That you never want to see taken, especially when, you know, they had just scored. And, you know, there was like, what, four, four and a half minutes. Four and a half it, minutes. Was, it was about. It was literally just after they had scored, within a minute mm -hmm. of after they uh, Ryan Reeves' uh, goal scorer goal scorer extraordinaire had scored, <laughs> and I mean that that can't that's horrible. That is that is just a horrible horrible call to make in that moment. Um, it's a four two game. You're not handing the other team, you're not handing the Leafs an opportunity by not calling that penalty. Mm -hmm. You what you've mm -hmm. done is essentially ice the game. You ice the game, and you don't no ever want to be the reason why that happens if you're an official for the wrong reasons. Especially if it's, I mean, heck, I was gonna say ticky tack call, but it wasn't even that. It wasn't even a call. It wasn't even a call. It he, was. He tapped his shin pads and he fell. It, come on, come on, man. I, I just, yeah, I thought in the moment, I, I was, it was a horrendous, egregious, egregious call uh, on the uh, on the officials' part. I did want to. Uh, Mention a couple other texts if we can, Maddie. Yeah, let's just do going it. back to our Riley conversation uh, from earlier, and you have differing. We're seeing both sides of the coin show up here in the text line in terms yeah. of people that are either supportive of Morgan Riley or agree with your sentiment that he could be a whipping boy potentially. I, I would like to 
clear. I Go would ahead. like to say this. I do not believe that he should be you, the whipping sorry. boy. I, I, not, it's not, I'm just letting the listener know. Like, I think that's where the narrative is kind of going with him. Anyway, continue. All right. Adam and Aurelia. I'm sorry, but you're insane if you think Morgan Riley is the whipping boy. He's the best defenseman we have. I know you hate that. Uh, where, where <laughs> it, where's, this, where's this guy from? Aurelia. Aurelia. That's Adam not far from, from me, Adam. I may be making a visit. <laughs> it's not that far from me. We stop it. All right. He continues. Why would he be considered for Team Canada if he was bad? Your time flying is full of. Uh, he had a. He, Just idiots. He idi- said idiots. Okay, idiots yeah, that idiot. don't know hockey. Thank you, Adam, for the text. Appreciate it very much. I will say this. I I think Morgan Riley is being considered for Team Canada, but I don't think he's going to make it. I put my list together personally. I don't think he's on there. I think you can quibble on one of the guys, but I don't think that he's there. And for... For the record, I will say this is who I have. Just so people, just for transparency, yep. I have Makar and Taves as a pair. I have Petrangelo and Theodore as a pair. Uh, you can, and then the last three is where you can kind of. I have Aaron Ekblad mm-hmm. on there. By the way, this is full of right-handed shot defensemen on the bottom, which the least would love. Um, Ekblad, Dobson, <laughs> and I have Weger on there. You can quibble on Riley and Weger, in my opinion. I don't know that you can quibble on Ekblad and Dobson personally. All right, here's uh, the opposite the opposite line of thinking. Jim from Bolton. If after 11 years with the Leafs, no other defenseman has meshed with Riley, maybe Riley is the problem and not everyone else. I don't know. I See, I... I you you I mentioned can, this. I can see the argument, sure. Yeah. But it's also incumbent upon your management group to find players that work well with players. Plain and simple. That's yes. Cohesion is what helps make this thing roll. And if you do not have a competent partner for Morgan Riley, who you are paying and not Brad Trilliving, but previous regimes, whether it be Lou Lamorello, whether it be Kyle Dubas have paid Morgan Riley to be the best defenseman on this team. So if you're doing that, then you obviously believe that he's that guy. It doesn't matter what we as the fans think at that point. And I don't even put myself in that category because I'm trying to, you know, play both sides here i think that if you have made that judgment that he is that guy then you need to find someone to play with him because how many defensemen in the nhl are let's call it partner proof it's not a long list not a lot not a lot how many how many guys in the nhl are elite defensemen that you look at and say that is the guy that is going to make his partner better yeah rather than the two of them working Hand in hand. Cohesively together. Yeah. Yes, that's a that's a great point. There are very few that can be the fixer, and they can be placed alongside anybody, not miss a step, and still be the same caliber of player, regardless of who they're playing alongside with. You know, the other interesting thing is when it comes to, I think, when it comes to Riley, I think this whole discussion would probably have even more, would have more merit and more steam behind him, Maddie. If imagine this, they went five and zero without him, and then they lost right away. Yeah. I actually think then we would then then it becomes what, a far more interesting conversation. Like, was Morgan Riley playing on Saturday when they had this massive win in Colorado? Like, that's what I would tell people. Yeah, he was there. Yeah, he was there. He played well. He was there. Yes. Played fine. Yes. Now, if they had won those five straight, and then he came back immediately, and they lost. To Vegas, yeah, all bets are off. Or at that they point. lost then to I Colorado. Gotta, then I got to eat my hat. Then we're having a different, uh, 
different level of discourse here when it comes to Morgan Riley and what's going on with him. One more, if I can. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mark from Durham. Morgan Riley has been great when they've had a great partner for him that is defensively responsible. Case in point, Luke Shen from last year. Yeah, and that's that's the point we've made uh, time and again. And I think, though, that, to your point, it sort of illustrates that he's it's a, it's there's a very finite number of guys around the NHL as a whole that are partner proof so to speak he's not one of them and that probably speaks to the fact that truthfully he is more of a number 2 than he is a number 1 yeah. there's that's no indictment on him as a player it's just that you might need to be able to find somebody who is a right shot defenseman that can play alongside him. Stunning. Uh, I just want to get to this one. It seems like Ryan Reeves can't catch a break with you. He plays like crap and you give him crap and then he plays well and scores a goal and you goof on him. Rick and Mississauga. No. I'm more goofing on the fact that Ryan Reeves scoring yesterday is we know he's not a goal scorer. He's not. And I actually gave him credit for playing well Rick, on Saturday he's been night. Good. And we, I said we he did played give him fine. Um, it's more just like. Yeah, Ryan Reeves is, I say, it's goal scorer extraordinaire. It's said in jest. It's yes. not to take shots. Everyone knows he's not a goal scorer. You know who else knows he's not a goal scorer? Ryan, Ryan Reeves. Reeves knows he's not a goal scorer. Um, That's why he was so pumped when he scored. Yeah, and against one of his former teams, who in which uh, a place in uh, where a place he played was a big he was fan beloved. favorite. He was yeah. beloved. Yes. Okay. Let's get to let's get to this. Oh, my favorite. It's it is time. It is uh, time for some Blue Jays talk. And so Alec Manoa makes his spring training debut yesterday. Here is what was said on this show yesterday regarding <laughs> Alec Manoa. And Alec Manoa on the hill. This is not going to be about numbers. It's going to be about what the slider looks like. It's going to be about what the fastball looks like, mm -hmm. if there's any life on it. And command just, and, of the strike and zone. command of the strike zone. I don't care if he hits a couple guys. Because that's that's what we expect from Alec yeah. Manoa. It's yeah. when he's afraid to pitch inside on guys, that's when I'm going to be worried about Alec Manoa and where his headspace is at. But I'm very intrigued to to see what happens with him today. I am very excited as well. Very excited because I have been on the the Manoa train, the bounce back train all along. I am firmly in his camp, and I and I believe in the player. So I am eager to see him put it all together. Hopefully, this spring training have a productive spring and be back in the Blue Jays rotation. So I should have bet on Alec Manoa hitting two batters yesterday because I would have made my, he hit three. I should have bet on him getting two because I would, I feel like I would have made myself a lot of money yesterday. I wonder if the sports books will add that for his next spring training outing as an option. <laughs> Cause I'm sure there'll be a lot of money being spent on that prop. Three hits, four runs all earned over one and two thirds. Uh, he struck out no one, one walk, three hit batsman. Um, but he talked, Post start about, you know, he was encouraged by the fact that the fastball got up to 95. Yep. Which I think is encouraging. And he felt like that's something that he can control. Again, this was never going to be about numbers. He's out there. He hasn't pitched since August. Yeah. Like, Matty, in any in any environment, has not pitched yeah. since August. Like, there's an adjustment here. And, you know, there like, we got a text from someone that says, oh, Alec Manoa sucks. Like, really? <laughs> Um, this this one from where is this here? Brian in Toronto. Manoa continuation of 2023. Can't mm -hmm. put him on the mound based on yesterday. I yes, I know it's the first outing of spring trading. Different for him though. Why is it different for him? Why is it different for him? I'm not even going to read the rest of it because I mean it's just it's well, about all okay. the guys that are available and they're not coming here, so it doesn't matter. Surprisingly, you might find this surprising. 
I'm actually going to be more measured about this because normally I am very much, I'll fly off the handle. I, I'm very cynical when it comes to oh, a lot I of this I wanted to see Daniele's no, no, best I, impression of George Costanza. No, but I am very, very, I don't know, for whatever reason, um, whether he pitched very well yesterday or poorly, as ended up being the case, I was not in a position where I was going to overreact one way or because the other. Because it's the first start of spring training. That is part of it. Like, if he threw, like, if he threw, like, Wild Thing Vaughn, then, okay, then we're having a different conversation. You know, and you know what really reinforced my overall thought process and, and actually supported my my opinion of trying to be as patient as possible with this guy is what Shai said yesterday, which, in our discussion with him, he mentioned that among the indicators that they're looking for, it's not just about... Hey, is he going to go out there and put up zeros and have good results during spring training? That certainly factors in. He can't go out and give up four runs every outing and and be in the rotation come opening day. That That's not happening. But they're looking for uh, things that are maybe less performance-based and more process-driven in the sense of, okay, is he able to repeat his delivery consistently? Mm-hmm. Is he going to have command of the strike zone? Is his velocity up? Does the shape of his slider look similar to what it was prior, pre-2023? I think those are the key indicators that they're paying attention to. And I know and, and Ke- I know Kevin Barker mentioned this briefly. I think it was yesterday. And even in, in passing, I've heard him talk about how he doesn't think the velocity is a big deal. For me, I, I've, I've said all along because I noticed it last year in spring training where the velocity was down. I think it is a big deal. I actually think him touching 95 yesterday in his first professional baseball game since August is important. And the reason being, we saw when he was at his best, at his apex, the the peak of his powers a couple years ago as a Cy Young finalist, he was able throughout the course of an outing to pace himself with his velocity and have moments where he'd zip it up there at 96, 97 with the four seam heater, which then makes the slider even more devastating. Mm -hmm. They feed off each other. It's not, they're not, they don't exist um, independent of one another. They feed off one another. And for me, his velocity was up across the board. That is an encouraging sign. What wasn't encouraging. Let's break down quickly. Like his outing as a whole, Maddie, here's how his outing went. Starts the game off. Riley Green singles. Then he goes on. He hits Spencer Torkelson and Mark Canna back to back. And so, the one, and the one by all accounts was the the first one on Torkelson hit him in the head, but yes. it was a breaking ball that kind of got away from him. Lucky and that was a happens. breaking ball. Yeah, lucky and, was a breaking ball, and that happens. So back to back hit by pitches. Okay, Gio Urshela he grounds into a double play, and then he gets burned. Colt Keith, who's a highly regarded prospect for the Tigers, comes up and laces a double. I think it was like 105 miles an hour off the bat. And that cashed a pair of runs. So that's that's what goes on. He gets the out right after Javier Baez lines out. There's his first inning. Okay. Two runs on the board. Second inning, he hits the first battery, faces Carson Kelly. Then he records back-to-back outs, walks Riley Green, and Spencer Torkelson cashes in with an RBI double that was like 110 off the bat, destroyed. Uh, he got all of it. Both of the doubles, the extra base hits, came off sliders, which is probably more concerning because that's the pitch that that's his put away pitch. He induced just two swing and misses. So, and also I even looked, you know, 17 strikes in total, Maddie. If you actually look closer, he only threw 13 stri- balls in the strike zone out of 38 pitches, not the most encouraging sign. But again, I am choosing to be more patient and measured and saying, okay, well, 
Let's see how he responds in his next spring training outing. How is he going to, what adjustments is he going to make? Is the velocity going to stay the same? Is he going to be able to maybe induce more swing and miss and whiff? And then on top of that, can he find the strike zone more consistently? It's a process. Be patient. Let's see how he how he puts it all together over the course of this next month where he's going to have a handful of outings, and then we make our decision. I'm not saying definitively one way or the other if I think he should be in the, the opening day rotation or not. I don't know. I believe in him. I'm My belief hasn't wavered, but that being said, I understand if he doesn't perform well, he's not going to be there. Just be patient, though. Yeah. Just be patient. Yeah, let's see what happens here. Like, let him ramp up a little bit. Like, I think there's... That's a, it. You know, that's why, like, you know, Brian in Toronto texted us back and said it's because of you know it's different for him because of what happened in 2023 so for a guy like uh let's say is it different for a guy like carlos rodon who struggled last year he was one of the little worst bit, pitchers in baseball the thing with rodon slight i will say he was, slightly he, different he did have he an was injury. injured yeah but you but, know here's but the blue jays have dealt with this for two years now where they've had guys coming off subpar seasons going into the following year spring training it was jose barrios um, who had obviously was coming off? What was it? The well, I mean, it was actually Barrios and Kikuchi mm-hmm. who both had the same situation unfold last year going into spring training, where they had to come out and there were plenty of questions about them. Now Kikuchi, right from day one, he was excellent, and everybody with each pass, which each outing, the confidence you could just see it gradually increase up to the point where he ends up having a fantastic 2023 season. But with Manoa, as somebody that hasn't pitched since August. You, I just, I think it's it was would have been a little bit foolish to expect him to go out there and immediately look like not the old Manoa, but a guy that had full command of all his pitches and was completely dialed. Like he hasn't been in that environment no since August. Just again, be patient, and then we'll see where we land. Mm-hmm. That's that's sort of how I'm trying to take a more measured, calculated approach to all this. Okay, so a couple of things before we got to hit a break because we're gonna talk wraps with Aaron Rose in the next block. Um, Jason Stark was on Blair and Barker yesterday and he talked about his piece that he wrote about Otani watch and how it affected the Toronto Blue Jays players and how they followed along. Alec Manoa basically finding out that the Jays were not getting Shohei Otani while walking down the aisle for his wedding. Yeah. That's pretty, that's as wild as it gets. <laughs> but the th- I think the thing that we can take from it is that um, they followed it just like we did. Yep. And we can also, you know, move on from it. And, you know, it was close. It, you know, it's like Damian Lillard, who was a Raptor for two seconds as well. Right. <laughs> if we all remember that correctly. <laughs> and and by the way, um, for those that are wondering, uh, Shohei Otani made his Dodgers debut yesterday. Swung on, hit high in the air to left and deep. This ball carrying. This ball is gone. It is done. That was louder at the Dodgers spring training game for Otani's debut than it is for any Leaf game. Uh, And with that being said, we're going to take a break. Zinger! When we come back, um, Toronto Raptors, three-game winning streak. How will they respond after their pizza party? Hottest team in Toronto sports right now. Hey, now. (laughs) Hey, now. Toronto Raptors. We're going to talk to Aaron Rose about those Raptors. Um, I also want to talk a little bit about... I want to talk about... This I don't want to call them the core four because we're not doing that. But I do want to talk about just 
how we view the future of the Raptors with those four guys and specifically with the development and improvement of what we've seen from Grady Dick over the last few weeks. Uh, All that and more when we come back. This is the Fan Morning Show. Matt Marchese, Daniele Franceschi. You're listening on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Show with Paulie Walnuts and Silvio Dante. <laughs> no, no, it's Matt Marchese and Daniele Franceschi. Although, if you had to be one Sopranos character, like, yeah, it's a great question. Or, sorry, better question: Who is your favorite Sopranos? And you can't say Tony. Ooh. Yeah, okay. If we eliminate Tony, uh, favorite Sopranos character, probably Christopher. Christopher. Christopher or Paulie? Yeah, I I would lean. I think Bobby Bacala is one of the oh, most under. I love him. He has some of the best lines in that show. <laughs> By the way, if you haven't watched it, it's as much of a comedy as it is a drama. <laughs> Nostradamus on that, that scene. No, no, he me. calls him Notre Dame. Yeah, yeah. And then and Tony goes, Nostradamus? Yeah. Yeah, and he's could be he's like, huh? <laughs> you could take your you could take your book of quotes and oh, um, and I have love yeah. it. Um Ben Rose. Covers the Raptors for SI.com. Aaron Rose. Aaron Rose. Aaron Ben Rose. Why am I looking? Oh, my God. Look at your Twitter oh, handle. You, okay. You it's, get- er, it's early, and your Twitter handle is screwing me up. Partial credit. Yeah. So, Aaron Rose. Has anybody ever called you Ben Rose? No. I have just a me. sweater that says Ben Rose that I got from McDonald's once. Shout out McDonald's. <laughs> but other than that, no. Wait. Hold on. Okay. I, you know what? I'm glad I screwed it up. That's very random. Okay. So, how, oh, explain, this, explain this now. Now I'm curious. Please. When you're a big time influencer like myself, I say, uh, I say tongue in cheek. Um, sometimes companies send you random things, and I guess I guess Ben Rose, Aaron Rose was taken on social media, so I had to go with Aaron Ben Rose, and I guess uh, that was confusing to some people, um, especially me who was trying to write the, all this down at you know 4:30 this morning. Um, okay, so aside from me screwing up your name, um, okay, when we look at this Raptor team, th- three game winning streak, they get the Mavs tonight. How much do you gather from a game like the Pacers game the other night? Because while they did play very well offensively, even defensively, I thought they were much improved from the last time we saw these two teams play. Uh, But taking into account that the Pacers, well, I don't even want to say they aren't world beaters because frankly, they suck on defense. How much do you read into that as well? Knowing that, yes, the Raptors played well offensively, but also taking into account the opponent. I do. And I think the the previous two games before that, they were taking on a Hawks team that has been uh, disappointing for years now and a Nets team that's been disappointing for months now. So I was like, okay, well, you know, you beat a couple of mediocre teams. That's not so impressive. And I know the uh, Indiana Pacers aren't the Boston Celtics of the Eastern Conference, but they're like a, a good playoff team. And, of course, they added Pascal Siakam, which should make them better, even if it hasn't, you know, synced up perfectly yet. But I would say that was a pretty impressive win. And to get your third straight win, as we know, uh, the Raptors probably had some sort of party last night, maybe a pizza party. But I think it, it's, it shows that this team is starting to gel. And I think more important than that, whether they do make the play or not, I think it's, there seems to be a buy-in with this style of play. And for years, we knew the Raptors were a defensive-focused team. But now I think they're sort of an offensive 
uh, pass-first team. They really care about sharing the ball, and I think that was something we saw against the Indiana Pacers, and for them to keep up with that Pacers offense was really impressive. Okay, Aaron, so you mentioned the plane. When it comes to that, and obviously the Raptors have now put themselves in a position where they're sort of in the mix and very much in the conversation as it pertains to that final play-in spot, how much value do you think there actually is for the Raptors to be in contention for the play-in tournament? Like, just even from a developmental perspective, I, I gather there's probably some benefit for the young guys to be playing for something meaningful at the very least. Like, we'll see what ends up transpiring here, but what do you make of their pursuit of a play-in opportunity and how it aids potentially the development of some of their young players? Yeah, this goes back to sort of that play-in for what comment that Messiah Jury made years ago. Which, which is essentially like you're playing in if there's no other alternative. So we saw the Raptors do the whole play in for what tank decision a few years ago and landed on Scotty Barnes. And then we saw last year, which was probably the wrong decision. They went for the play in term and gave up that pick, which is haunting them this year for Yaka Pirtle. And I think this year you look at the alternative and you say, okay, well, uh, that pick situation is complicated. So we'd probably rather, we being the Raptors, we'd probably rather give them a late lottery pick this year and, and get rid of that burden of that pick. So we might as well go for it, right? And if you might as well go for it, there is some benefit to having those young players learn how to play competitive, important basketball games down the stretch. And even if they don't make the play-in tournament, these games, to some extent, are must-win games for the Raptors. So I think when you look at the alternative, that this isn't some spectacular draft class and they have this complicated pick situation where they need to land a top six pick, you might as well just go for it. And I think that's what they're doing. So here's a kind of a different look at that. And we talk a lot about the development of these younger players, especially now that we've kind of settled on, there's four guys that they're kind of looking towards the future with in um, Scotty Barnes, Emmanuel Quickly, RJ Barrett, and Grady Dick. But Here's the other thing. They've got a young head coach too. Young in the in terms of he hasn't been a head coach in the NBA for very long, being this season his only one. How much do you look at the development of the head coach and being part of this young group of guys that he's also working with? And not only from that perspective of his development, but what have you seen from him over the course of, you know, the the first uh, the first two thirds almost of the season? What have you seen from him that makes you think that this guy is the right man for the job? Uh, well, well, the truth is I'm not entirely sure he's the right man for the job. I'm not convinced he's not the right man, but I think the jury to some extent is still out. I think I've been impressed, as I mentioned earlier, on the buy-in uh, that he's had from the players into this you know, pretty radical offensive change that the Raptors have seen with so much more, so much less isolation ball and so much more passing. They've gone from being one of the teams that passed the fewest in the league, certainly in terms of assists, to one of the teams that passes the most and records the most assists in the league. And to do that as quickly as this team has and reshape the roster, I think it's helped. But that shows a bias. And then you look at the development we've seen, and it's always tough to give a coach too much credit for development because I think the player really deserves the bulk of that credit. But even the in-season development we've seen from Grady Dick, who's been really, really impressive lately, some of that credit, I guess, goes to Darko. And I think the same jump we've seen from Scotty Barnes goes to Darko, whether or not all of that goes to him. But Scotty certainly put in the hard work there. But I also think there are still questions about uh, the Raptors went in a very different direction from Nick Nurse. And I think when you think about Nick Nurse, this was a guy who, you know, was a brilliant X's and O's basketball coach and knew how to win playoff games. And I haven't always seen at times Darko 
having the, you know, oh my God, he drew up that beautiful baseline out of bounds player. Wow, I can't believe he came up with that defensive scheme. So I think in that respect, uh, I'm not entirely sure um, that he is the right coach for the future, but he could develop into that. And as you mentioned, he's a young coach. And if he spends the offseason working on himself, we always talk about player development, but there's coach development too. And he learns, you know, how to be a better coach than it is sort of his timing makes sense as he helps this young group develop and he improves himself as sort of an X's and O's coach that sort of thinks up in a, in a couple of years from now when the Raptors are, you know, really playoff contenders and hopefully even better than that. It's interesting when it comes to, for me at least, Aaron, when it comes to Darko, it he kind of does strike me as, uh, and I hate to say it and put it this way, but uh, sort of as that bridge coach, like he's the guy that's going to get you to the next step. And then maybe somebody else has to come in and sort of finish the job when they are ready to be good again. But jury is still out because this is his first experience as a head coach in the NBA. And I and I ha- I think we have seen some growth from him throughout the course of the season. I mean, I thought he coached a really good game against the Pacers and was creative with some of his ATO plays coming out of timeouts. I thought they were very innovative and, and different and something that was a departure from what we've potentially seen or, excuse me, what we've typically seen from him uh, throughout the course of the season. You know, I, I did want to hone in with you. Um, I wanted to hone in on Grady Dick uh, with you for a second here because he's been obviously a, a massive bright spot for this team over the last few weeks. And, you, I mean, you threw out the statistic yesterday, 26 for 52 from three over the last month or so. That's the second best three-point shooting percentage of any player uh, in the National Basketball Association during that span. I guess, what have you seen uh, from Grady Dick in terms of his his growth and development since he's kind of re-entered the picture as a regular in this Raptors rotation? I, I think we go back to that, that Darko comment I made earlier about the help that he's, he's clearly had, I guess, on Grady Dick, that's shutting him down and giving him some time to, I think, maybe clear his head. He never mentioned that he was not confident, but I think uh, some time off certainly helped him after a really rough start to the season and a really rough G League stint to be frank. And I guess, you know, that Grady looks like a, a different player physically, but uh, you'd imagine he put on some weight and he just it looks more comfortable these days. Uh, and then the other thing is like, he was brought in because he was a lights out shooter and you just had to figure that eventually he wasn't going to be a 26% shooter uh, from a three point range. So the numbers he's putting up, you mentioned it 50% over the last month. Uh, I think he's at 51% on the corners and that's the kind of player that can make a huge difference besides Scotty Barnes. I, I don't see Grady Dick being a superstar player down the road, but a high-end role player. Uh, I, I remember that playoff series against the 76ers. Uh, of course, Kawhi hits the shot. But the player I was most afraid of in that series was J.J. Reddick because he would whiz around off the ball, and you just knew that if he caught the ball behind the arc, it was going in. And I think that, or Clay Thompson, you think about that mold of player who's, who's lights out from three-point range. And then the other thing that's been impressive with Grady lately is what he's been able to do inside the arc. So his cutting has been really impressive. And if you do close out too quick on him, he has, you know, a couple dribble moves where he can put the ball on the floor. And we saw him switch hands midair, I think, one time for a layoff. I think he had a really nice alley-oop. So he's a really good mover without the ball. And when he has the ball, he can put two hard dribbles down and find the hoop. So I think across the board, you're starting to see why the Raptors liked him so much. Part of it, I think, is confidence. Part of it, I think, is regression. And uh, he's he's been really good lately. Aaron Rose, Raptors reporter for SportsIllustrated.com, joins us on the Fan Morning Show. So this the, f- the group of four guys that they are 
essentially building around. When you look at the different skill sets, when you look at maybe, you know, you, you talk there about Grady Dick and, and he can be a high impact role player rather than a superstar. Um, we think, we hope that Scotty can become a superstar. We hope that RJ Barrett can become, you know, a, a very good complimentary piece. And the same thing can be said about Emmanuel quickly. When you look at the ceilings for these four guys, do you see, um, because Danielle and I talked about this yesterday, when you have, you know, a guy like Giannis, it's less important to have the superstars around him. But when you have like, you know, the not quite elite, but maybe the next tier of guys, which is maybe where Scotty Barnes ends up, maybe becomes elite. I don't know. But do you see those other three guys behind Scotty you know, and, and their potential ceilings as this could be a team that could have championship aspirations based on what we seem to believe these guys can get to? Or do you look and say, I don't see that ceiling for those guys. They're going to still need to find a way to bring in a star. Yeah, it's such a tough question to answer, especially this early on in their, I guess, developmental window. Uh, Safe money should always be for any player, and this sounds like a criticism of Scotty Barnes, and I don't mean it to be, but like the chances of him being a top five player in the NBA for any player except for maybe Victor Wembanyama uh, are pretty low. So it's and to me, to be to to me, I think you need to be on that level to really be a, a championship team. You need to have a top five player in the league or something thereabouts. So will Scotty get there? I think the Raptors are trying to find out if he can be a top five player in the league. But again, it's really really tough to be there. And I'm not sure Emmanuel quickly has all NBA potential. And RJ Barrett looks like a really really fantastic scorer, but I'm not sure he's much more than a 21, 22 points per game scorer. And I, I feel like I'm going negative here, but I think the Raptors are, are want to see what they have in this core. Uh, they will grow out this core for this year and next year. And then they keep looking to the, that Boston Celtics team. And I've spoken to people within the Raptors organization who see that Celtics mold as, okay, let's find our two guys here. Who's the Jason Tatum? You hope that's Scotty Barnes. Who's the uh, Jalen Brown? Maybe that's Emmanuel Quickly. Of course, very different positionally player, but who's the number two guy? And then over the next uh, six, seven years, the whole organization is going to change multiple times over. And that doesn't mean R.J. Barrett has to be traded at any point or Grady Dick won't be here long term. But you just look at the change teams undergo in you know, a four or five year span, so much of the roster will change. And it's just about finding those pieces that fit. So right now it's see what you have in Grady Dick, see what you have in RJ Barrett, Emmanuel quickly, Scotty Barnes and Oche Abaji too. Another guy who's, who's been relatively impressive lately. And in a few years, if, if one of those guys has to be packaged with picks for a superstar, maybe you make that move. We've seen the Raptors do that before. I think that's, I think you laid out a very, very uh, rational and compelling um, case study and how you can they can get to the next level because I I'm in full agreement there I think it's one of two things here in terms of them potentially tapping into uh, another championship window it's one is all right they've put all these eggs in the basket of Scotty Barnes clearly and they're invested and they want to see what he is capable of he ends up morphing into this top five top ten all NBA caliber player that is very much among the best players in all of basketball. And there's your alpha. There's your number one without question. Or the alternative is he's not that. You learn that he's not that. And now you're in a position where, okay, we feel like we are maybe that one final major piece away from actually putting ourselves in that mix. And I guess it just even from a roster building standpoint, how do you go about 
how do you, if you're Masai Ujiri, if you're Bobby Webster, how do you go through this process of learning what the ceiling for these players are? And how do you arrive at the decision or figure out when it's the appropriate time to say, okay, now we either pivot away or we do believe we can surround Scotty with all the necessary ancillary pieces to actually get ourselves to that next level? Because I think that is an interesting question in terms of timeliness and timelines is figuring out sort of when is the appropriate time to say, okay, we're done with being a developmental project. Now it's time to start winning again. Yeah, it, it's tough. And, and Masai Ujiri talked about had he seen this jump Scotty Mate was going to make this year and, and did make, he might have done things differently. But projecting development can sometimes be difficult. So so the answer to the question is sort of put the ball in Scotty's hands. And that's why I think at times this season it's been frustrating when you're in late and close situations and the ball isn't in Scotty's hands. I'm okay if he fails in those situations. But you got to put mm-hmm. the ball in his hands just to find out if he can do it. Mm-hmm. I and agree even more. if he fails at the beginning, he might learn from 100 misses uh, right now. But when it actually matters, when the Raptors are in a playoff game, the game's on the line in a few years from now, maybe he's learned from these experiences. So put the ball in his hands, and then just it's going to take time. And, and you, you hope the jump that he, he's made this year is to some extent replicated next year. And, okay, you run it back, and again, you put the ball in his hands, you put the ball in Quickly's hands, and you see what these guys could do together. So I can't tell you today, well, this is what it's going to look like in four or five years. But I think the process and the journey is what the Raptors are going through now, where you put the ball in their hands and you let time play out and see what the jumps uh, these guys can make in their developmental uh, journey is. And then the other thing is you keep your picks because, and, and essentially you would try, try to amass more picks. That doesn't mean trading away Scotty Barnes and RJ Barrett, but I think, I look at picks as like currency tokens where you have them, you, you try and build up more. And then one day when that guy comes available, that star player, you can just, you know, plop into this group. You say, okay, now we have, you know, three tokens that we can trade in along with RJ Barrett and go out and get that player who fits perfectly alongside Scotty Barnes moving forward. So I would say keep those picks, uh, try and get more picks uh, if you can, certainly in the future, and then just let time play out and put the ball in the hands of your best players and see what they can do in those situations. It is the benefit of not having any expectations about getting into the playoffs as well. Like, let these guys make their mistakes because, not that it doesn't matter, but at least you can allow them to do so. For and now. Then not ha- for now. That's for what now. I'm saying. At some point, for it this shifts. Year, for this year, yes. Um, but for next year and after that, I don't know. That it we're changes gonna be a that little same. bit. At yeah. some point, it has to change. I, for sure. I agree. Uh, Aaron, thank you so much for getting up early with us today. Greatly appreciate it. Enjoy the game tonight, and we'll chat soon. Looking forward to it. There he goes. Aaron Rose, Raptors reporter for sportsillustrated.com. You can listen to the call of the Raptors Mavs game tonight right here on Sportsnet 590, the fan with Eric Smith and Paul Jones, or you can watch on Sportsnet, Matt Devlin and Alvin Williams on the call there. Tip off set for seven. 30. Uh, a quick thing here. Um, I know you wanted to weigh on this. So LeBron James with his since deleted tweet <laughs> on Bronny and oh, the mock drafts. Oh boy. I'll just, I'll, I'll let you have the floor here. The joy. So for anybody who isn't fully aware, this is from a couple days ago. Um, initially I wasn't sure if it was going to blow up and certainly it, it did because anything LeBron does becomes um, it, it reaches new levels of virality every single time. So to give you some context, as we pretty much all of us or most of us know, his eldest son, Bronny James, is a freshman at USC. Now, a couple of days ago, ESPN um, 
issued, published their latest 2024 mock draft. Bronny had been initially included in 20, the 2024 group. They made the decision to remove him and place him in the 2025 class instead. Part of it, part of the reason being he's not having a great freshman season. He missed some time. So as such, I think it was Jonathan Gavoni thought there would be a better opportunity for him to get drafted in 2025. LeBron goes to Twitter. This is how what he tweeted. Can y'all please just let the kid be a kid and enjoy some college basketball? The work and results will ultimately do the talking no matter what he decides to do. If y'all don't know, he doesn't care about a mock draft. He just works. Earned, not given. That was his tweet. Somebody sounds like they care, though. He, 100%. He just deleted, and then he chose, I don't know how long it was up, but he deleted it. Obviously, plenty of people, it, it caught wind. There was tons of traction, and it dominated all the main... All the talking heads down south were having a field day with it yesterday. Shocking. Here's my problem. Here's my issue with this. LeBron, you got to sh- shut your mouth, man. <laughs> it's very simple. That's the king you are you're talking the reason, to. You are the reason your son is in the limelight. Not because he's your son. It's not that, Maddie. It's because for the last five years, from the time this kid arrived at Sierra Canyon High School as a freshman, LeBron was standing there saying, I want to play with my son. He's made it known. He's repeatedly said it time and again that it is his dream and his goal before he retires and hangs up his shoes for the last time he will share the court on the same team with his son. And that is why everybody is so interested and fascinated with what his son is doing and how his season is unfolding. That's why you have nobody to blame but yourself for the level of scrutiny, criticism, praise, whatever that your son is getting. That's why, LeBron, just shut your mouth, man. It's your fault. You put your son in that position. You know what the best thing for Bronny is? For his dad to retire and not play in the league at the same time as him. That's the best thing for him. That is the best thing. I agree. Uh, You can watch LeBron James tonight on Sportsnet 1 at 10 p.m. The L.A. Lakers taking on the L.A. Clippers. Time now for Wake and Rake, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook, 19-plus, bet responsibly. It is the Mavericks at the Raptors, 7 p.m. tonight. Um, Raptors, dogs, three-and-a-half-point dogs here. The money line is uh, plus 135 for the Raptors, minus 161 for the Mavs. The total set at 237-and-a-half. I feel like, again, that's kind of low because the Mavs are not the best defensive team either. Remember, they have that guy Kyrie Irving. And that guy Luka that that doesn't play. Luka doesn't play defense. Mm -hmm. Um, Here's where I will lean. I look at this and I say, Raptors coming in, they're playing hot. They had fun at their pizza party, I'm sure. (laughs) I kind of am leaning. There's a couple of things. I'm kind of leaning Raptors money line at home. Mm-hmm. I'm also looking at Emmanuel quickly over three and a half rebounds. Yeah, He's been over six in, I think, one. four straight games. Um, the last four at home. He's had three of four games in his career against the Mavs where he's had over um, over five rebounds. I think it is, or four plus rebounds. And he has a... he's. In both home games that he's played against the Mavs, he's had over that total. So I'm looking at Emmanuel quickly over on his rebound total, and I'm looking at Raptors' money line. My very quick pick, Dallas Mavericks, either on the spread or the money line, and here's why. Not to be not to be an anti-homer, but they're coming off a devastating loss against Cleveland yesterday where they lost at the buzzer. Max Struess hit this like ridiculous game-winning shot from three-quarter court range. Um, Dallas. 
that's why. I just think Dallas is going to be hungry to get back in the win column, and the Raptors are coming home after a nice little stretch post-All-Star break. So are you going spread for that one, then? Or are you going uh, money line? Money line. Let's play money line. Okay. Tanelli goes Mavs money line. I'm going Raptors money line and Emmanuel quickly over three and a half rebounds. I would sprinkle some on the total as well. Yeah, I agree. Second half of a back-to-back for the Mavs. Raptors maybe improved defensively, but uh, we'll see. That was Rake and Rake presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, 19 plus bet responsibly. When we come back, more Leafs talk. Uh, Carter Hutton, former NHL goaltender, will join us. Also, uh, does stuff for daily face-off, the Leafs morning take, and starting goalies on daily face-off as well. All that and more when we come back. It's the Fan Morning Show with Matt Marchese and Danielle Franceschi. You're listening on Sportsnet 590, The Fan.